0: and rely on His promises every day. Here's the message. Good morning, Hope Church family in the room and watching us online. Welcome to our new home here in Marlon Street Town Hall. If you're here for the first time today, you are very, very welcome. My name is Mark. I'm one of the lead pastors here. Before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, here in our new home, At the start of a new year, we pray, Lord God, that you would work in us anew. We pray that you would renew our minds, where we have picked up attitudes and ideas that are not from you, where our hearts have become hard, give us a new heart of compassion. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would grow your kingdom, that souls would be saved, and that we would see new families and new people joining us here at Hope Church. Lord, I pray that we would have a new passion for the lost, a new hunger for the things of God, and a holy boldness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen, and Amen, Amen. Well, I've been reading a bit this week about something called decision fatigue. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. Decision fatigue. Decision fatigue is a psychological phenomenon that happens when you're asked to make lots of decisions, or more decisions than you are used to making. And as the decision fatigue sets in, you make progressively worse choices and worse decisions compared to if you're not feeling decision fatigue. It's it's been a well-studied phenomenon, and it can have some very serious impacts. In, In a recent study in Israel, for example they discover that judges who are sitting on a parole board deciding whether or not to grant prisoners early release, that at the start of the day or immediately after a tea break, you are much more likely to get parole than if you come up at the end of a session when the judges are feeling tired having had to make lots of difficult decisions. Because it's just easier to say, no, we won't release him, there's no risk of reoffending, no one's going to criticise me. Decision fatigue sets in. It's for this same reason that people buy unnecessary warranties after spending hours choosing their car and all the options in the car dealers. Would you like the undercoat and the rust-proofing? Oh, yes. Would you like an extra warranty on your washing machine you've just bought in Curry's? Oh, yes. It's hard enough to pick the washing machine. Don't give me more choices. The reason the chocolates and the trashy magazines are next to the checkouts in the supermarket is by the time you've gone around deciding what flavor of bread and peanut butter to buy, you've just had enough of decisions, and you make a bad choice. In fact, a university tried to research this phenomena um, last autumn. They sent out 500 surveys with just a single question on it. Are you suffering from decision fatigue, yes or no? (laughs) Most of the surveys came back unanswered. So today, more people are suffering from decision fatigue than ever before, as this pandemic throws all of our usual routines into disarray, forcing us to make more decisions than we're used to. And often trying to make a decision where there are loud opposing voices telling us that the opposite thing is the right thing to do, and so the decisions themselves are not even clear-cut, and it becomes even more taxi, to vaccinate or not, wear a mask or not, go to the pub or not, get a booster or not, take the kids back to their school clubs or not, work from home or work from the office. Ugh. If you go to Google and you stop typing in a search, it suggests a completion for the thing that you're typing in, what it thinks you're really trying to ask based on what everyone else in the world is searching for on that day. And if you type the word decision into Google, guess what it suggests as the end of that phrase, the thing that everyone else is searching for. You might think it'd be something like good decisions, or wise decisions, how to make better decisions. But actually, the thing that people are searching for most on Google is decision maker. They want to find someone to make the decisions for them. They've had enough. And we've really all had enough of making decisions. And when we have had enough of making decisions, one of the things that we start to do is that we have this tendency to revert to legalism. We want rules to follow, because then you don't have to make a decision. Just follow the rules. We look for rules that tell us what to do. And we try to impose rules on other people to make them do the things that we would hope they would decide to do anyway. So when the government or advisors issue a new guideline... You know, we just go mental. We don't want guidelines. We don't want suggestions. We want a rule. Because if you make a suggestion, I've got to now make another decision about whether or not to do what you're suggesting. And if other people decide, having looked at that suggestion, to do something opposite, you know, we go ballistic. They're the spawn of Satan. How dare they come up with something different to me? Because now you've decided the opposite to me. I've got to re decide again did I make the right decision or not? Or am I going to go along with you? Oh, my goodness, stop the world, I want to get off. When we have decision fatigue, when we are tired of having to think and worry about things all the time, maybe we won't go quite as far as looking for a decision maker to make the decisions on our behalf, but we do end up being far more open and susceptible to advice and suggestions from other people. And we're not so able to critically evaluate that advice and decide whether or not it's good or bad advice. It's just advice. Well, I don't have to decide now. I'll just do what you said without really thinking about whether what you said was good or not. Because that's just another decision to decide whether or not to follow your advice. And that is the danger and the topic of today's message as we continue our journey looking at the gospel Of Luke, exploring the promises and the purposes of God for us. Today, I want to take a moment to consider the voices that we listen to, the voices that we hear, and hopefully lead us into a fresh encounter with Jesus, the one who silences those voices that would mean us harm. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. And if you recall from Sue's excellent message last week, Jesus had just calmed this massive storm that blew up as the disciples were trying to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And today we find out where Jesus was taking them, because he had an appointment to keep. So reading from the Bible, Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out onto the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him. And he said in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of that man. For many a time he had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, and he would break those bonds, and he would be driven by the demons out into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, he said, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission and the demons came out of the man. They entered the pigs and the pigs rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now when the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And then people, they went out to see what happened and they came to see Jesus and they found the man... They found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat... And he returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone, he begged that he might go with him. But Jesus, Jesus sent him away and he said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, the the world's largest indoor lake, the second lowest in the world, second only to the the Dead Sea, and they went through this terrible storm, just so Jesus could meet this one man who was clearly in a terrible way. And if you were to meet him today, strolling around Milesbury Shortstay car park, you'd probably think he was suffering from some form of mental illness. And a mental illness, just like physical ailments in our bodies, it could have its root cause in biology and, and chemistry. Some mental illness has a, an emotional or a psychological uh, element to it. And sometimes there is a spiritual element, as clearly was the case in this poor chap today. And sometimes all, some or all of those factors come into play. But in this situation, for this chap, Luke is very clear that this man's problem was primarily a spiritual one. And even as the boat reached the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus steps out of the boat, the man comes rushing up to him. He's driven there to meet him, to confront Jesus. He says, why are you here? The demons want to know. Have you ever noticed that whenever a demon, an unclean spirit, a fallen angel, whenever they encounter Jesus... In the Bible, they always know exactly who he is. They never doubt Jesus' identity. They call him who he is, the Son of God. Maybe it's because they are spiritual beings, and perhaps they can discern in the spiritual realm Jesus' true identity. Maybe when they look at Jesus, they see not only the man, but they see a 600-foot-tall glowing power being. I don't know. But they certainly see the glorious Son of God. And these demons, with these unclean spirits, they know exactly who Jesus is, and they obey him. Leaving the man at Jesus' command, entering the pigs, and then perishing in the lake. Good news for the man. Not so good news for the herdsmen, who were supposed to be looking after the pigs. Can you imagine what they said when they got back to the office? Uh, Boss, about the 2,000 pigs. We don't know. We're not told what happened to cause this man's problems to begin with. What happened in his life? At what point he started to listen to the promptings of one of these unclean spirits? But what we can see is the end result. As the man listened to the voices in his head that meant him harm, these voices that drove him out of his home and into the wilderness, these voices that separated him from his family. He slept in a graveyard. He dwelt amongst the dead, and not the living. He wore no clothes. He rejected the norms of his society. And according to the retelling of this story in Mark's gospel, the man was also driven to, to harm himself with stones, engaged in self-harm and self-destructive behaviour. You see, the, the voices that we listen to, whether these are words that we read online, lyrics to the songs that are playing in our cars and in our house, the people that we socialise with, the programmes that we watch on TV or the videos that we watch on, on, online, all these things are voices that are speaking into our life and voices that continue to resonate in our mind for some time. Have you ever caught yourself humming a song? and think, why am I singing that song? And then to realise, well, you heard it on the radio two days ago or something. And in, in, a, in a season where we're suffering from decision fatigue, whether we're aware of it or not, we are much more susceptible to being influenced by those voices that we are allowing to speak into our lives and into our minds. So we need to consider carefully. We need to be discerning about these voices, about the words and the ideas that we let in, let into our mind and let into our hearts consider are these voices voices that are driving you towards your family or away from it are these voices that are focused on the living or the dead are they speaking life to you and hope are they speaking death and despair are they critical and damaging breaking things down all the time are you being encouraged to think that harming yourself or punishing yourself in some way is actually ever going to make things better are the messages that you receive every day encouraging you to reject the, the healthy uh, and accepted social norms in our society? Or why are you going to end up running naked around the graveyard, you know, literally or metaphorically? These were the voices that legion had been shouting into this poor man's head for years. And yet a single encounter with Jesus is all that it took to transform his life his prospects, and his future. Jesus picked him up, he cleaned him out, and he gave him a job. Go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. This man became the first evangelist in the region of the Decapolis, in that part of the Middle East. Now, we don't know, because we're not told, what was the catalyst, what was the starting point of this man's original descent into despair? But I suspect it started with him listening to one voice that meant him harm. And one thing leads to another. So as we embark on a new year, in a new home in 2022, the question for us all is, what are the voices I need to stop listening to? Who are the people that speak the opposite of hope into my life? Who are the people that when I'm around, things get torn down rather than built up? What are the programs that I watch on TV or the websites that I visit that are doing more to stir up division and despair than hope and unity? We have to be discerning and make wise choices. Now yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's another decision that you need to make. But, but it really matters. Yeah, the Bible says it one... Corinthians, it says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbour. See, the voices that we listen to, if we just let them in with no filters active, they begin to shape our attitudes, the attitudes that live in our heart. They begin to shape the assumptions that we use when we try to understand what other people really mean by the things they say and do. And those attitudes, those assumptions, the, the way that we look at the world is profoundly important and powerful. This is why the Bible says over and over, things like, we need to renew your mind. You need to put on the mind of Christ. You need to look at things through the lens of the Bible rather than flawed human ideas and attitudes. You know, one of the things that Lydia and I have learned over the last two years that leading a church through a pandemic is hard. And certainly you can't please all the people all the time. In fact, even pleasing some of the people some of the time is nigh on impossible. You know, whatever we decide to do is wrong in someone's opinion. You know, and we've received some some messages from people in, who are in the church that you know they're really quite heartbreaking. They're telling us, how rubbish the church is and how rubbish we are as pastors and yet through the grace of God on the same day received other messages from people that said exactly the opposite exactly the opposite which got me thinking and and, and praying and and listen I'm not trying to be self-serving or suggest that we got everything right you know we could have done anything better we certainly could and I promise the next time there is a global pandemic we will do a better job but as, as I was thinking and, and, and praying about, I said, Lord, how could you know, two different people, two different families, who, who are part of the same church, with the same pastors, with access to the same resources and the same services and the same church family around them, how could they have such completely opposite experiences by going through the same season? And what God said, he said, the difference is the attitude that people had, the the attitude that people took with them into that season. So you need to teach on attitudes, God said to me. So hence, today's sermon. See, two people can go through exactly the same experience and come out of it completely differently because of the attitudes that they had at the start. And I'm not talking about this kind of superficial, everything is butterflies and unicorns, denial of what's really going on type of thing. But when I say our attitude, what I mean is the way that we look at the world, the assumptions that we have, that we take into every conversation, every situation, the lens that we see the world through, this shapes everything. Now, A Greek philosopher once said, and I I paraphrase, He says, it's not the things that happen to us that make us happy or sad, it's the way we choose to see them. And it's the way we choose to see them. And the choices that we make, and some, after this is subconsciously done, but those choices are driven by our attitudes, our worldview, and our assumptions. Now, Jesus called us to be, what, servant-hearted, to serve one another. He modeled this when he washed his disciples' dirty, smelly feet. In Philippians, the scripture says, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if your attitude, for example, if your attitude is, well, the church should look after me, it, well, I'm afraid you're always going to be disappointed. Not only because no church or pastoral team is, is perfect and able to guess what it is that you need, but because actually that's not a biblical attitude. It's wrong. It's wrong on two counts. First of all, the the church, the church is not some other thing separate from you. Yeah, we are the church. Each and every one of us. We are the church. The answer to the question, "Who is the church?" is I am. Who is the church? I am. Who is the church? I am. I am. Exactly. John Wimber tells a story that someone in his church came up one day and said. Oh, there's this, this homeless person that I've been kind of looking after, been feeding him a bit and, and, and giving him somewhere to sleep when it's, when it's cold. But I think the church really ought to step in and, and look after him. And John Wimber said, yes, it is. He said, No, 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 the church should, should look after this man. He said, it is. You are the church. You are the church. You know, we are the body of Christ. We are Jesus' hands, right? If Jesus wants to give someone a cuddle... Whose hands does he use? Ours. Ours. Okay, so the church is not something separate. And secondly, well, the scripture says what? That we should look after ourselves and look after each other. So that's what we just read in Philippians. That each we look not, to his own, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Nowhere does it say, sit on your hands, wait for the phone to ring, and other people to come around and look after you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. In fact, even our beloved NHS, if you look on their, their website, it says the top five ways to improve and look after your mental health. Two of the top five ways to look after your mental health are go and look after someone else. It's never about you. So you see, so that's just one example of how the attitudes that we have, the assumptions that we use to guess what other people's motives are towards us. Yeah, these are all shaped by the voices that we listen to. So make sure that the voices that you're listening to, the ideas that you allow into your mind, make sure these voices are speaking godly truth, kingdom principles, Bible-based ideas and attitudes. If you had a recurring headache, that really bad, painful headache, and you went to the doctor and she gave you a pill that stopped the pain... Yeah, some kind of super paracetamol, a painkiller that completely stopped you feeling any more headaches. Would you think this was a good doctor? Well, no. You see, because the headache isn't the problem. The headache is a symptom. The problem is that tumour that's growing in your head and pressing on your nerves, causing the headaches, just stopping you feeling the pain from the tumour is not really going to help you because that tumour is going to keep on growing and it will kill you one day soon. See, what you need is not a doctor who's going to take the pain away. What you need is a doctor who's going to take you into surgery, cut your head open and take the tumour out. But we can't see the tumour, we, but we can see and feel the symptoms. We can see the symptoms, we can feel the symptoms. But the symptoms are rarely the problem that really needs to be solved. Unless you deal with the root cause, the thing behind the thing behind the thing that's really driving the situation, that's causing the symptoms in the first place, unless you deal with that root cause, you will never solve your problem or improve your situation. So let me tell you a secret that I learned that will transform your relationships with other people, okay? Because, because we respond to people, yeah, we treat them or we judge them based on what they do and, and what they say, yeah? But here's the secret. What people do and what people say is usually just a symptom of something else. Not the thing that truly matters to them and not the thing that they really care about. What people say to us or about us is a symptom And is rarely the thing that is really going on. You see, because what people do and say is a symptom of the attitudes that they hold in their heart. The assumptions that they bring with them when they decide how to interpret what they see going on in the world around them. And the attitudes that we hold are shaped by the voices that we listen to. It's a true saying that hurting people hurt people. But the next time someone says or does something that causes you to wince or get offended or be hurt just, just take a moment to consider that thing that they did or didn't do that thing that they said or didn't say that you wish they'd said is probably not really how they feel about you or the situation it's just a symptom of something else that is going on in their life or in their heart in that moment and it's probably related to the voices that they've allowed to speak into their life. Without necessarily realising the harmful ideas that are being sown into the heart that comes with them. You know, the voices that the man in our Bible story today listened to, they left him what? Isolated and alone, dwelling amongst the dead and not the living. Dead people, dead dreams, dead things surrounded him. But child of God, you are not designed and you are not destined for death, but for life. So today is the day that we can choose to ignore the voices that speak death over our dreams and destiny, and instead listen to the voices that speak with the words of the one who said, let there be light, and there was. You know, we are destined to overcome. In 1 John 5 it says, for everyone, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and more than more than that while we are yet in this world we are purposed by Jesus to be alive and fruitful not dead and shriveled up and unproductive dead things produce no fruit but we are designed to be alive and fruitful Jesus said in John's gospel you did not choose me but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, it should last, it should be worthwhile and valuable, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You know, fruit, it grows from seeds. And the seeds that you hold are the attitudes in your heart. And they will grow up and they will show up as the things that you do, and say when you're not thinking about what you're thinking about and when you're not thinking about what you say, what comes out is the attitudes of your heart. If your attitudes are not godly, then neither will your fruit be godly. Psalm 7 says, Behold the wicked man. He conceives evil and he's pregnant with mischief and he gives birth to lies. If your attitudes are godly, the fruit that grows in your life will be godly. Jesus said, in Matthew twelve, in the middle of his rant to the Pharisees, he says, Either make sure that make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless word they speak for by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned the the abundance of your heart that Jesus is talking about is the attitudes that we hold and these attitudes are shaped by the voices that we listen to so this year hope church decide to listen to voices that build up and not tear down voices that speak honor rather than criticism. Voices that build faith rather than sowing doubt. Voices that speak Bible truth. Seek to serve, not be served. Look to the interests of others, not just yourself. Extend grace, not judgment. And remember to look beyond the symptoms of what people say. And consider what is really going on in their life. I just want to close by uh, praying together. The prayer of peace. You might remember it from, from primary school. But as I read it, I just thought, you know, these are the words for today. So say amen with me at the end. Lord God, I pray that you would make me an instrument of your Peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. And Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. And when there is darkness let me bring your light. And when there is sadness, let me bring your joy. Oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console others, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in self-forgetting that we find. It is in pardoning that we ourselves are pardoned and it is in dying that we are raised to eternal life and all God's people said amen 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 bless you hope church this morning we're still working out some of the logistics of our new home so we haven't got any refreshments on this floor so I encourage you to 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 call into jack doors downstairs grab a beverage take a moment to catch up with one another before you head home If you tell the chap behind the counter you're from Hope Church, you'll put it on my tab so you can be blessed and caffeinated all in one go. Be good, be happy, be holy and we will see you all next week. Bye for now.